the First Christian Church of Chiefton brings you the good news All right, I am the bread of life, part one from John chapter six. On many occasions, Jesus used food as a vital part of his ministry. We all know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. What you may not know is that Bethlehem was widely known in the first century as the house of bread. And when Jesus turned 30, he left his career as a carpenter and was immersed by John the Immerser. He immediately was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days. And after that, Satan came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus said, Man does not live by bread alone. Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Where did Jesus perform his very first public miracle? Sure. It was a feast, wasn't it? A marriage feast in Cana. And who can forget the time he fed 5,000 men, plus women and children using only five loaves of bread and two small fish? And that story seems to overshadow the fact that he did it again sometime later with 4,000 men, plus women and children, with seven loaves and just a few fish. And when he met this diminutive social outcast named Zacchaeus, he stopped in mid-parade and invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. To do what? To dine with him, of course. And even on the night Jesus was betrayed, you know how he spent those final hours with his men? They shared a meal together alone in an upper room. In fact, it was at that meal Jesus instituted a ceremony of remembrance. He cared very much that his act of sacrifice would never be forgotten. The emblems he used were simple and readily available foodstuffs. Bread and grape juice. And after his resurrection, knowing that Peter was devastated by his denial, Jesus sought to reinstate him. So he went to the seashore one morning to find him. And do you know what he did when he waited for Peter to come ashore from the boat? He fried some fish and prepared some bread. And after they had eaten the food, Jesus turned to Peter and said, Peter, feed my sheep. And finally, in John chapter 6, when Jesus made his first claim as to his identity, he said, I am the bread of life. He used a common, well-known reality, bread, to illustrate a deeper spiritual meaning. The only trouble was, because Palestine was largely a wilderness region, bread often became at a premium. The people Jesus ministered to knew what it was to go hungry. So when Jesus started talking about bread, they thought, food. He's going to make us some more food. They didn't understand that the food Jesus really came to provide was not food for the stomach, but rather food for the soul. And before we examine this claim, we need to ask two questions. Two questions that will help us build a historical framework which will help to augment our understanding. The first question is this. What was the chronology of the message that Jesus preached? I'd like to read in John chapter 6, verses 22 through 24. John 6, 22 says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, 
except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. But his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread, after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now I want you to jump back here for a minute. He fed the 5,000 that day, plus the women and children, which I mentioned earlier. That night he was off to pray. He tells the disciples to go ahead and go across the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And he'd meet them on the other side. They didn't know how he was going to get over to the other side, but they said, okay. And then there was a storm in the middle of the ocean. Or excuse me, he had an ocean. It was like an ocean to them. In the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And they were struggling. And so Jesus looked out and saw them. So Jesus decided, I'm just going to take a little walk. He took the shortcut that most of us probably would not venture to do. That was venturous. That was Peter. But Jesus just started walking right across the Sea of Galilee. We know he walked on water and he saw the boys. And as we talked about before in a previous sermon, Jesus had no intention to stop. Jesus was going to pull one of these. Hey guys! I'll meet you on the other side. But they were so afraid they thought they saw a ghost. So Jesus being the compassionate one, he stopped. More like, you guys need a little help? And then that's where Peter says, well, Lord, if it's really you, <laughs> tell me to come out there with you. you got to admire Peter. We give Peter a tough time on some of the things he did, but at least Peter got out of the boat. None of the other guys get out of the boat. Peter jumps out of the boat. Peter walked on water. He knows what it's like. He took a couple steps. He wasn't doing it. Until he started looking around. <laughs> took his eyes off of Jesus, started to sink, and that's where he needed help. Jesus, I always love it, Jesus never picked him up out of the water. Jesus just grabbed his hand and kind of pulled him along, helped him back in the boat. Then Jesus gets in the boat, and the sea becomes like glass, smooth as glass, and they get over. And now, the people are wondering, where'd Jesus go? We never saw him get in the boat. What's the problem? You see, the disciples cleaned up after everything that Jesus did, the five feeding the 5,000. They picked up all the extra. John assures that everyone had as much as they wanted. Their stomachs had been filled, and for all we know, perhaps for the first time in their lives, they actually ate until they didn't want to eat anymore. They were full. But you know what happens after you've had a big meal, don't you? Sure. Besides taking it out, <laughs> A few hours later, guess what? You're hungry again. So they go looking for a newfound meal ticket. They wanted to find him because if he fed us yesterday, certainly he'll do it again today. And that brings us to our next question. What was their motive in searching for Jesus? What was their motive? Verse 25 says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because the God the Father has set his seal on him. Well, that's obvious. 
They wanted another free meal, but they were stupid. Well, they weren't stupid, excuse me. When they finally locate Jesus, that's not what they say. They tried to hide their true agenda. Rabbi, when did you get here? Oh, we've been searching. We, we want to hear you speak some more. No. They appeared to be innocent question, but Jesus looked beyond the question and saw their real motives. They wanted another free meal. I wonder if perhaps we are guilty of the same thing. We come to the place where spiritual food is served, but we seek instead food that perishes. Let's face it. Some people go to church because they want to feel good about themselves. Some do acts of servitude in order to receive public acclaim, a pat on the back. Some are involved in the spiritual disciplines in order to alleviate guilt. And others feign a commitment in order to appear devout and respectable in the eyes of their peers. I recall one man coming to the church well, some years back in Maryland. This guy, he sure looked sharp. He had on a nice suit. He stood erect. He had clean shaven, nice hair. Looked real good. And he, I don't recall his name, he came for a few weeks. Every week, he looked sharp. And getting to know the people. And everybody said, hey, this guy's really nice. He seems really committed. He seemed to know the Bible pretty good. And he'd show up in Sunday school. And he'd come into worship and serve for about four or five, six weeks. Only to find out his real purpose for being there. Oh, do you all have a uh, church directory? Well, sure, we could probably dig you up one. Well, I sure appreciate that. It would help me in my business. You see, I'm an insurance salesman. who the people in the church were so he had a good old list to go start hitting on people about life insurance. <laughs> and I learned this lesson a long, long time ago. There's not everybody that walks through that door is not here for the all the same reason that you're here. I've met people who, who come to, there's men come to the church looking for a wife. There's women come to the church looking for a husband. I, mean, I could go on and on all day long. Things, reasons people go to the church building. You see, many times people do the quote-unquote religious thing, but with ulterior motives. Jesus knew what these people wanted, but he also knew what it was. It was time to lift their focus from the temporal to the eternal, from the material to the spiritual. And his attempt to do so resulted in a dramatic and hostile confrontation. Verse 27 is the pivotal verse in Jesus' message. If you get this, you'll get the whole deal. Jesus makes two significant points in verse 27. Listen again. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. First, please note Two phrases here. Food which perishes and food which endures. And in today's scripture, Jesus refers to the two appetites within each of us. And the first one is this. One is the physical appetite. It's the food that perishes. Now, if you don't eat it, 
what happens to it? Eventually it spoils. If you do eat it, it turns to waste. Or perhaps more accurately, it turns to waste. In my case, W-A-I-S-T W-A-S-T-E Because <laughs> it seems no matter what I eat, it seems to find my waste, doesn't it? Physical food, although essential for life, ultimately perishes. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19-21, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now the treasure in Matthew 6 faces the same problem which plagues the food in John 6. They both perish. Neither food nor money can ultimately and finally satisfy. And maybe you've already learned that. Good for you if you have. Perhaps you've achieved a certain level of financial security. But do you remember what it was like before money came along? You know the promises of instant happiness and fulfillment. I wonder, did money deliver on its promise? No, because it can't. It's food that perishes. It was Solomon who said, Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Proverbs 23, 5. Jerry, watch your money fly away. Whoop, 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 whoop. Hey, come on back here, dollar bills. Where'd all the money go this week, honey? I don't know. I paid the bills and couldn't tell you. I'll be honest, that's before we became Christians. I've told you many times amazing things God does after we became Christians and started giving tithes and offerings. If you ever experienced that in your life, perhaps you once enjoyed the security of a fat bank account, but now it's gone. For whatever reason, your money did the eagle routine and left you reeling. So you understand when Jesus says, listen, what you're going after won't satisfy. Because money and the things money can buy are temporary at best. Seek instead that which is eternal. And many today haven't learned that lesson. They're driven in life by the ambition to accumulate tall piles of food that spoil. And you know what Jesus said about that ambition? He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Luke 12, 15. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. I also saw another one that said this, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Guess what? You can't take those toys with you. And in other words, that's not what life is all about. True fulfillment and happiness cannot be bought with American Express. Think about it. Money can buy a hospital, but it can't buy health. Money can buy a bed, but it can't buy sleep. Money can buy a house, but it can't make the house a home. Money can buy sex, but it can't buy love. And money can buy pleasure, but it can't buy happiness. There was a young lady who went on a wonderful vacation to the Hawaiian Islands. She sent back a captivating postcard of the beach, the ocean, 
and palm trees captured at dusk. It was beautiful. And the description read, Raindrops glistened along the waterfront in the glow of a tropical sunset. Sounds enticing, doesn't it? And she wrote only six words on the card. These six words were this. Been there, done that, what's next? She was spending a week on an island paradise and all she could muster was been there, done that, what's next? And that's what I call food that spoils. And all of us have an appetite for that kind of food. But hear what Jesus says. It will not satisfy you, period. Oh, that may be a great meal and satisfy for a couple hours. But it won't take long. You'll be thinking, which, which we, I hear all the time, Honey, what do you want for dinner? And you know what I'll say? I don't care, honey, whatever you want to make. How many of you have ever said, What do you want for dinner? What do you want for lunch? And you have to make a decision. Why is it? I had a great breakfast. Why am I worried about lunch and dinner? Didn't breakfast satisfy me? Yeah, for about three or four hours. Then I'm ready to eat the next meal. And that didn't satisfy me either. I gotta wait another four hours and eat again. And then you know there's gotta be a snack before bedtime. Just to make sure I get through the night. That's rather sad, isn't it? But the point is, it will not satisfy, period. The physical food. The food that perishes. And that's what Jesus wants to get out of the habit of them people understanding they just come for the free meal. Let him talk about the other, the spiritual appetite. Food that endures. And that's sadly the appetite is not nearly as well developed. It's certainly not as universally expressed the food which Jesus says endures. Although our spiritual appetites have been satisfied, continue to be satisfied, there are others, in fact, most who have yet to know what it is to be filled. With the food that endures. Do you ever wonder how they cope? Do you ever wonder how the unbeliever handles it when the bottom drops out of his or her life? When the physical food perishes and the treasures on earth corrode? Well, the tragic fact is, most aren't coping. They erect what they believe to be an iron wall of security, but it turns out to be nothing more than aluminum foil. They build high piles of possessions then watch helplessly as the malls invade and destroy. But the good news about the food which endures is that it is eternal. No matter what happens, no matter what may be stripped from your grasp, you will always have at your disposal the necessary strength to stand firm. The food Jesus offers can carry you through financial disaster. It can help you endure the loss of a loved one. It can keep your heart strong when your last friend fails you and it seems that nobody cares. Food which endures and food which is perishing are what biblical commentators call a contrastive parallel. But that's not the only contrastive parallel in this passage. Verse 27 contains another. It is built upon Jesus' use of two monosyllabic words. Work and give. Two wonderful four-letter words that we can put in our vocabulary. Work and give. He said, do not work 
or labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father set his seal on him. Now when Jesus says do not work, he is not building a case for laziness. He is simply contrasting our logical and necessary efforts to earn physical food in order to survive with our completely illogical efforts to earn spiritual food in order to be saved. Be assured, Jesus understood and affirmed the value of hard work. Jesus was himself a carpenter, a hard-working businessman. After Joseph died, Jesus became the breadwinner for his family. He knew what it was to work for a living. He knew what it was to put food on the table. So Jesus is not espousing some anti-work ethic, not at all. In fact, somewhere, uh, no, excuse me, nowhere in the scripture can you find such a doctrine. Just the opposite. The Apostle Paul said quite bluntly, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 And that's the work ethic in the first century Palestine. And it was deeply entrenched in their value system. Much more so than in our welfare-minded generation. I better not repeat that one. I'll go off on a tangent. You know, but even in our day, because of the free enterprise system which we enjoy, hard work still pays rich dividends. There are exceptions, but generally the harder we work, the better we eat. The more diligent our efforts, the more reward we enjoy. And that's as it should be. The problem is, we tend to carry that worth ethic with us into the spiritual realm, don't we? We think, if I'm in need to be satisfied spiritually, I need to work for that too. I, I need to give up this and release that. I, I need to be moral and honest. I, I need to pay my bills and go to church and love my wife and hug my kids. Then when I'm jumped through and thus religious hoops, God will smile on me and all the gunk of my life will just ooze away and, and God will welcome me into his family. Well, that's a big sham. Trusting in your ability to earn spiritual food is like jumping out of an airplane with a sack of cement strapped to your back. You can yank all the cords you like. You can yell Geronimo until you're blue in the face, but you're going to end up busted flat on the ground. And your personal goodness your long list of achievements, your religious progress sheet will not get you one step closer to heaven because you cannot note that, cannot earn spiritual food. There was a man who died and went to heaven. When he got there, he met the gatekeeper. And he said, hello, sir, and welcome, the gatekeeper said, just to let you know that to enter through the gate, you need to have 1,000 points. What, said the man? What do you mean 1,000 points? I never heard that in Sunday school. Well, that's the way it is. It takes 1,000 points. That's the deal. So why don't you tell me what you've done? And I've got my computer here, and I can uh, get you a readout on your tally. Well, the guy thought for a moment, and he said, well, I went to church. Every week. Okay, that's three points. Three points? But I went for ten years. All right, four points. I gave money too. Yep, I tossed them in the plate every week. I even sacrificed big for the building program. That's good, that's good. We're up to seven points now. Seven points, that's all? 
Yes, I'm afraid you need a few more to get to a thousand. Well, I've been basically a good guy. I tried to be good to my family. I was faithful to my wife. I helped poor people. I even taught Sunday school a few times. All right, we're up to ten points. Can you think of anything else? Listen, buddy, I'm just about bankrupt. I, I've done all that I could do. And that's exactly the point, isn't it? When we think we're going to get into heaven by what we do. And then he remembered something. Oh, by the way, when I was a young man, I heard the gospel, had faith, and was obediently immersed into Christ. The gate seemed to whoa, I need to say so. That's worth a thousand points. Next. It's not what we do. It's whether we accept what Jesus did. That's how we're going to make it to heaven. The food that does not perish but endures forever. You see, that's the problem with trying to earn spiritual food. After you've done all that you can do, you discover that all you can do is still isn't enough. Jesus is saying to us, don't get hung up when trying to provide food that will perish. Instead, receive my free gift to you, the gift of food that endures. You don't have to work for it. In fact, you can't. You must either accept it or reject it. You can't pay for it because it has already been paid for in full at Calvary. Now you and I understand what Jesus is saying. Primarily because we're standing on the backside of Calvary. We have the benefit of perfect 2020 hindsight vision. But these people were so locked into filling their hungry stomachs and working real hard to earn God's favor that they just couldn't understand what Jesus was trying to tell them. And because of the crowd's confusion, Jesus' message turns into sort of a public debate and next week we'll discuss the series of six questions from the crowd and Jesus' responding answers what are we seeking today the food which perishes or the food which endures if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior you don't know the food which endures and as I showed you you're not going to get to heaven. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how good a person you've been. I remember the story. Actually, it was, it was real life. Of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And his question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus started wrapping off some of the commandments. And the young man said, I've kept them since my youth. In other words, I'm a good guy. And Jesus said this, Take everything you have and give to the poor and follow me. Did Jesus really want this guy to give up everything and be poor? Give up all his riches? I think what Jesus was telling him is this. Everything you have, you need to be willing to give up. Follow me. Because none of that's, that's all food that perishes. But following me and doing my will is food that endures. And there it said, 
he went away sad because he was very rich. You see, what does this take? How, what's heaven worth to you? Jesus gave many a parable about heaven. About the man with the, that found the pearl of great price. He went and bought the field. Because that's where the pearl was. He gave everything he had. And that was representative of, of heaven. 